Our scripture this morning comes from Luke chapter 2. We're in the middle of the chapter, verses 21 through 38. And just so you know, next Sunday on New Year's Eve, I'll be, I'll be finishing this chapter, verses 39 through 52. And then January 7th, starting a new series in the book of James. I'm very much afraid. <laughs> I've never preached through James. It's a tough book, but I'm looking forward to learning and uh, sharing with you uh, the gospel from that, from, that, uh, from, that, from that point of view. Let's look at Luke. Again, chapter 2, beginning in verse 21. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and, and, for, and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widowed until she was 84, there's a textual note there, text note there that also indicates that she may have been widowed much earlier and then widowed 84 years. She, she may be almost 105. She was an older woman. <laughs> she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to, to all who were, who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's pray as we seek uh, God's, as we hear God's word together. Lord, so many times in these first two passages, I'm struck by how many folks have the Holy Spirit speak to them or through them. Lord, what a gift it is that, that those of us who know Christ have that spirit. And we pray, Lord, that your spirit would indeed move in the, in the preaching of the sermon, that you would apply your word to our lives, that it would sing and even yes, sting in, in places and Lord, that uh, your word would continue to shape our, our, our lives. Thank you, God, for Christmas. And thank you for Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. Well, this sermon is entitled, Passing the Baton. As you probably guessed, I have never been a sprinter in my life. Uh, but I was actually on the track team at, my, at, at La Cueva High School, not far from here. And uh, I threw things. I threw javelins, and I, and I did the shot put and the discus, and did pretty well. Uh, particularly my senior year. But what was really fun for those of us who were weightmen, and that's what we called, that's what they called the big guys, weightmen. They used to call, they, I'll tell you what they used to call us in a minute, but 
there, there, when, there was, when there was extra time, and every once in a while there was extra time at the track meet, they would have the Waitman's Relay. They'd bring it, so you would have to bring out four of your throwers that weren't sprinters, and they would do a, a, a four by 100 meter relay on the spot. They used to call it the Fat Man's Relay back a couple generations before that, but they don't call it that anymore, thankfully. And uh, I'm always amazed, actually, that no one got hurt <laughs> because we were not used to running uh, any kind of distances with any kind of speed. And so uh, I was always worried that I was going to pop a hamstring or something like that. But I always remember those days. And, and the, the idea of a, we, we actually wanted to be good at it at La Cueva, so we actually practiced it slyly every once in a while during the week. And it's hard to, to grab that baton. You have to grab it in a certain period, period of space or you're disqualified. And... Uh, I've been to many track meets and seen many disqualifications of, 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 of a team that's ahead only for them to drop the baton or, or, or not to hand it off in the, in the proper time. Well, this, this passing of the baton is on a sprint here, but we have Jesus being presented at the temple. There's almost a sense of which the old covenant is fading away and the new covenant is coming in. A passing of the baton, if you will. I think uh, Simeon and Anna in particular, they're almost like... Uh, Almost like uh, Jesus' godparents or his grandparents. Um, that's what they represent to me. It's interesting because uh, Simeon, it never says he's older. It does say Anna's older. We, we think Simeon was older because it says that he was uh, waiting uh, to, 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 to meet the Christ in order for him to pass away. Uh, and that God would not allow him to do so before that. Um, but it's a really beautiful passage. I think it talks a lot about uh, what Jesus represents, it's another set of witnesses, right? We've had witnesses, uh, the shepherds and the angels earlier in the chapter. And now we have the shepherd, or now we have these two folks in the temple. So we're going to talk a little bit about why they came to Jerusalem in the first place, the, the Holy Family, in the first four verses, 21 through 24. Then we'll look at Simeon and Anna in turn. So let me, look at, let me read again for us, uh, chapter 2, verses 21 through 24. It says, at the end of eight days... When he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. That you, can, you can read about that in, in Luke chapter 1. When the time came for their purification, and that, that, that's an interesting term, their purification. It's really Mary's purification. According to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to prepare, present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, if I haven't lost you by now, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm glad because this is not what any of us probably normally do. But this is what was exactly what was prescribed to be done in a Jewish family at that time. If your son was eight days old, he was to be circumcised. Um, the circumcision, of course, being the, the, the kind of the sign, that's not, not quite sort of being the sign of the covenant. That was given to sons on the eighth day. And, uh, and notice that that's also when they were named. So it's similar to what we would, we would see as infant baptism uh, today. And, and notice that Jesus is also baptized in, in, the, in the following chapter, Luke chapter 3. Now it's interesting that both circumcision and, and baptism represent a kind of cleansing. A kind of sense of, of there's a, that, they are, that, that those who are, undergo these rites are sinners in need of God's grace. But that's not true of Jesus. Why was he circumcised? Why did he go forward with baptism in chapter 3? 
Well, because he identifies with sinners. He identifies with us. It's his way of, of kind of taking on, again, showing that he's really to take on our flesh and, and dwell among us. Now, Jesus didn't wink at sin or overlook it or downplay it. In fact, he was accused repeatedly of being a friend of sinners, right? If you go forward in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, uh, just to just hear these verses, verse, beginning of verse 31, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders and he says, to what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We play the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. You say, he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You see the point that Jesus is making? He's saying, look, uh, John the Baptist was all about uh, austere. He was austere. He was a, a wild guy. But he was, he was, a, uh, he was a, a real devotee. I call him the last of the Old Testament prophets. And you, you said he had a demon. Jesus says, I come and I, I'm much more free interacting with sinners and, 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 eating, and eating with them. And you, and you call me a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And right after that in Luke 7 is the story of the sinful woman who anointed Jesus' feet with expensive ointment. Remember, she broke open the whole uh, jar and then followed that by washing his feet with her tears and drying them with her hair. She's a, called a sinner by the Pharisees, but Jesus sends her away with a blessing. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus identifies with sinners. He takes on the rights of, 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 of a sinner, even though he doesn't take on our sin. He identifies with us because he is our priest. And then, of course, and then it talks about Mary's purification. As I mentioned, it says they brought them, uh, they, it says for their purification. That also could be lumping in the fact that Jesus also, uh, there's, there's a gift that has to be given on his, on his account. You see in verse 23, it says, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. That goes back to the time of Passover, right? And, and the very first Passover, uh, where, where the firstborns uh, of, of, of those that did not have their homes covered in the, in, the, in the blood of the lamb, those firstborns were taken from them. And so from this point on, your, your firstborn son was to be redeemed, right? Now, that, now usually that happened with, with, with a gift. And sadly, you see how, how poor Mary and Joseph are. They don't even have a lamb to give. And so instead, they, they give a, a pair of, of birds instead. Um, now, that, now, that doesn't happen. There is one other time I, I can be aware of that, that, uh, that, that, that the child was not redeemed. That's Samuel born to Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2. And of course, Hannah said that Samuel is permanently on loan with the Lord <laughs> for the rest of his life. But usually you would, you, would give, you would go to the temple and you would give this gift. And so Jesus is being presented at the temple to the Lord, which is really interesting because this is God's son. He's known him for all eternity. And so you have a sense of one of those, one of those moments in, in, the, in the history of the Trinity that's really interesting. And so again, no, notice the poverty. And notice also the fact that these, this uh, couple, as poor as they are, go out of their way to do everything exactly as is written in the law. Okay? Notice that they call him, they, they circumcise him on the eighth day. 
uh, that, that Mary undergoes her purification rite that she would need to do because she gave birth. She would have been ceremonially unclean. Jesus is presented and, and some sort of, a, of offering is given. They are very pious in, in, in a good way. But what's really important about that is that Jesus came, right, to fulfill the law. He didn't come to abolish it. He didn't come as kind of a, as kind of a, a, new, a whole new thing. He, he fulfilled the law, right? Galatians 4 reminds us of that. You've probably heard these verses, verses 4 through 4 and 4 and 5. It says, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so we, we might receive adoption as sons. So if Jesus had come and, and he, had, he had not gone through all these things, uh, how, would, how would any Jewish person know that they, they that, how, how would, excuse me, how would any, any Jew know that this man could redeem them? Imagine if he had not been circumcised and he, and he came to teach, who would listen to him? And so Jesus, uh, Jesus' parents and he himself go through all these things because he is there not to break the law. He's there to fulfill it. He submits to these rites because one day he, one day he would know that he himself would fulfill them so you and I don't have to go through these things anymore. He fulfills the ceremonial law in his life. God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. And then we meet Simeon in verse 25. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout. That righteousness is not a self-righteousness. It doesn't mean he was perfect. It means he enjoyed fellowship with God. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. As I mentioned in my prayer, the Holy Spirit is busy in these first couple chapters of Luke. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. That's perhaps why we think he's older. Um, it doesn't say that he is. And he came in the Spirit, notice again, he is there, into the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Now, now Lord, you, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepare in the presence of all the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what, they said, what was said about him. You know, it's always nice to hear something nice said about your child. <laughs> Imagine hearing that. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So a number of things to say here. First of all, notice that Simeon has no fear of death. Right? It's a, this, this, a, one of these, the passage with the angels and the shepherds, beginning in verse 8, uh, talks about, the, talks about that, that biblical command, fear not. Simeon does not fear death. He welcomes it because now he sees the Lord's Christ. I wonder, it doesn't say that he's surprised. I wonder if he was looking for a man. You know, I, you know the, oftentimes the, the uh, Jews at that time would have been looking for a military conquest, right? They were looking for a, a great hero to ride on a, on, a, on a big white horse. But instead, he's showing an eight-day-old eight boy instead. 
And, and it says that uh, he took him up in his arms. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder what, what, what that would have been like. You know, Mary and Joseph uh, bringing the child up and then suddenly this man grabs him. Hope, oh, bless God, holds him up in his arms, it says. And, and basically says, Lord, now I can die in peace. But look what he says. My eyes have seen your salvation. Jesus is salvation. Even though he hasn't accomplished it yet, it is, it is as good as the fact is done. Uh, according to Simeon. And this salvation has been prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and, to, and for glory to your people Israel. So even here we start to see already the idea that this, this, this great Messiah is not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. Jesus is the light. He will reveal not only things to the Gentiles, it also continues to say in verses 33, 34, 35, that he will reveal hearts, that he, the many will rise and fall on his account. Right? That where Jesus goes, he's going to pry open people's hearts. Particularly the religious leaders of the day uh, will, will fall, while some others will rise, fishermen and tax collectors will have their lives transformed. And there's even something sad here, right? The sword will pierce Mary's heart as well, which indicates that there will be a sword that will pierce Jesus' heart. Even then, the shadow of the cross follows Jesus, even as a baby. Even as a baby. There's already the fact that the shadow of the cross followed him. He was born to die. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a, it wasn't a tragedy. It was a travesty of justice but a travesty that you and I benefit from because we are those Gentiles that saw this light of revelation. The shadow of the cross follows Jesus. He was laying in swaddling cloths in a manger, but then when he died, he was buried in grave clothes in a tomb and yet to be resurrected from the dead. So this man Simeon has a lot to say about what Jesus mission was going to be. And then this passage wraps up in verses 36 through 38 with Anna. It says she was a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years. You've heard me describe this already, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, but worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. It's one of those great sentences in scripture, that is definitely, uh, you know, an exaggeration. She can't, she can't fast every day or she wouldn't make it. But she was always there. She was always at the temple, always worshiping, always seeking God. She almost embodies kind of where Israel's spiritual state at the time, right? Because Israel had felt abandoned by God, right? Israel's kingdoms had fallen. Uh, Israel's people had been scattered, and now the Romans uh, were oppressing them. And they were waiting for someone to come. They were waiting for their bridegroom to come. It didn't come for Anna, but something better came. Right? And notice again, the Holy Spirit's timing and all this. It doesn't say that she's actually one of the few people that doesn't say explicitly the Holy Spirit came. But it says in, it's in verse 38, she came at that very hour. She began to give thanks to God and speak, to, speak of him who came. Talk about timing. 
Anna is the second evangelist for Jesus. The shepherds are the first ones earlier in the chapter. But while Simeon kind of gives uh, a song and, and, a, and a word to the, the holy couple, so to speak, the holy family, Anna doesn't say anything to them, but she spends time to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption in, of, of Jerusalem. Another way of saying what was said earlier in the passage, the consolation of Israel. And these two folks, Simeon and Anna, are reminders that there are always faithful men and women who are waiting for the Lord's second advent. Just as they waited and did the things they were supposed to be doing, uh, you and I can be faithful too as we wait for, for the second coming of Christ. Do we love God with the kind of love Simeon and Anna had? The kind of devoutness. It's also a reminder that there are always there are always. Uh, there are always going to be people, even in, in times when we feel like perhaps that, that God is not listening or that um, uh, the church is not as fervent as it, as it could be or should be. There are always going to be times when that happens. But trust, there are always going to be Simeons and Annas in those days. This was a dark time in Israel's history. Again, there had been, a, it had been several hundred years since the last prophets had, had spoken any kind of word. And so for their 400 years later to be devout people, it's a good reminder for us to realize that uh, our salvation does not depend upon uh, what happens in Washington, D.C. or anywhere else for that matter. Our salvation is in the hands of the Lord. And because of that, like Elijah, do you remember, the, remember Elijah and the prophets of Baal about how the, the contest that Elijah had uh, where, where Elijah wound up defeating uh, the, the prophets of Baal is a great victory until Jezebel threatened to kill him. And then Elijah was sent, he ran, he ran away to a cave and, and prayed. And what did God say to him? I think I have, I think the number was 7,000. God told Elijah, I have 7,000 men and women who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Dear friends, even when we, th when we think our country is going to hell in the handbasket, uh, when, 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 we, when, we, when we see the church is not fervent as it, as it could or should be, there are always Annas and Simeons, and we should, we should strive to be like them. Quiet, devout, uh, and full of wisdom and grace. So just to close up this morning, I just want to give you some, I want to, I want to make this short enough so you come back at 4.30. Um, this, this passage starts with those who are waiting for the consolation of Israel. It ends with those who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. In other words, these folks know that they are in trouble. They are sinners and they need God's grace. They are oppressed by the Romans. They're beaten down spiritually by religious leaders who knew, who knew the law forwards and backwards but were strangers to the God of Israel. Right? These are the kind of the Pharisees and, and the other teachers of the law were the ones that would know exactly how many steps you could take on the Sabbath day uh, before, it, it, before you, were, you started sinning because it became work. So it wasn't just the oppression by the Romans. They're also being oppressed by their own religious leaders. God sent his son to provide consolation and redemption. Not with a military campaign, but with the good news of his life, death, and resurrection. His followers would preach the gospel and, spread it, and it spread like wildfire. Until many of the religious leaders would repent of their own self-righteousness and turn to faith in Christ. Paul is a great example. And this good news would even reach Rome. You could say that Christianity took down the Roman Empire. 
It's a, it's a bit of a simplification, but you can say that. Jesus took the baton from folks like Simeon and Anna, and it has been passed generation after generation all over the known world. This morning is our chance to take the baton. We can be an Anna or a Simeon, or if you even want to be a shepherd, you smell bad, you'll never be, a, you'll never be allowed in court, but you can do that. We need to show and tell others where our hope lies. Our hope doesn't, doesn't lie again in, 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 in what's happening in D.C. or Santa Fe, for that matter, or anywhere else. Our hope lies in this baby in the manger, God himself on the cross. He's the only salvation we have and the only one any of us needs. Dear friends, this Christmas you've been given the greatest gift of all. You've been given a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you spend time with him? Do you pray? Do you tell others about him? Do you allow your life to be a living arrow that points to Christ? May, this, may you be encouraged this Christmas and always that your hope lies in the Son of God who was given so that you and I may have life and life to the fullest. Let's pray as we come to the Lord's table. Father, we cannot outgive you. We thank you for the gift of your Son. Lord, we lay down our lives before you. We repent of our sins. We repent of our self-righteousness. Lord, we, we are, we, at least I readily confess that I often put my hope in my own efforts or my own righteousness. Father, forgive me for that and forgive those who, who cannot along with that. Lord, show me again your, my need for you. And as we come to the Lord's table, Lord, we pray that you would meet us here. And you remind us of your great love for us that's shown in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.